Welcome to the Pandora Podcast, where fellowship-trained pain specialists Dr. Melissa Cady and Dr. Kevin Cucaro reveal the secrets of pain care, including harmful practices, healthy tips, and the hope found through the science of pain. Please note, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. Please discuss your medical issues with your personal health professional. For more information and free resources, visit Pandora.com. Now on to the show. Welcome back to the Pandora podcast. I am Dr. Melissa Cady, aka the Challenge Doctor, joined here with Dr. Kevin, also known as Dr. Kevin Kakaro. And today we wanted to jump into a conversation that uh, was well titled by Dr. Kevin as Diseasifying the Human Experience. And if you would just be willing to take it on, since that's your title. Uh, Dr. Kevin, that would be my, fantastic. My, my title is 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 the Doctor Diseaseifying. <laughs> Doctor Diseaseifying, yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new one. Yes, it's a new one. Now, this was something that we had been uh, talking about just before we 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 went on air here, and it has to do with you know the human experience is constantly changing. It is not a static; it's a very dynamic process, and so we have we feel good. We feel bad. We, you know, our heart races, our heart slows down. We have deep, slow, deep breath. We have rapid, deep breathing. We have our bowels are moving one minute, other minutes. It's not, our muscles feel uh, different. And, and, and it, and it's important to understand that that's all normal. Um, And yet what we have done over the last 30 plus or more years is we've done this thing where we start diseaseifying the, the human experience where anything outside of this really bland, narrow range, is somehow our abnormal or disease that, that absolutely positively needs to be treated. Rather than recognizing that we live on the spectrum where things are ebbing and flowing, and it's only those extremes that we really need to be super, super concerned about. So, um, and this comes up through, you know, we talk about, well, wh- why is this? And part of it is from healthcare. Uh, there is there is some selfish self-interest involved with this, a paternalistic view that somehow if you have everything, if there's something wrong, we can fix it. Um, a lot of it's driven by pharma though. Um, and there, if I can, I couldn't, I should have pulled it, but there's a paper that they basically talked about disease mongering in pharmaceutical sales, where pharma is then taking these, uh, these human experiences and these symptoms of the human experience, and particularly the ones which are more negative, not negative in the way that they're bad per se, but negative in meaning that they're influencing, a, they're providing feedback to change your behavior. And they do that through like a negative feedback mechanism. So nausea would be a negative, uh, uh, sort of a negative experience. But they've taken those negative ones and then they've now wrapped this idea that just having that symptom is somehow a disease. And then they wrap that packaging around a, around a drug. So the one I'm specifically thinking about was social anxiety disorder, where it would be say, well, Dr. Katie, do you get uncomfortable in groups of strange people? When you are, and you may not, because you're a total expert. I do. (laughs) It depends who the people are. (laughs) Uh, Does your heart start racing when you're thinking about meeting someone new? And it's like, well, yeah. And, and all of this stuff is like, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, and then they, they frame it and they, and the kicker is, well, you may have social anxiety disorder. And then, you know, now you're thinking, oh my God, yeah, this is kind of distressful. This is weird. I must have social anxiety disorder. And then they want to put you on a, what's basically a methamphetamine. And, and it happens over and over and over again. The other one that really got my interest in it was when they're like, Dr. Katie, do you ever eat so much that you feel guilty? Do you ever eat yes, so much that you're 
<laughs> lying and on your bed going, I will never do this again. But then you do it again sometime. You may have know. binge eating disorder, just like Monica Sellis, who's our mm -hmm. paid promotion spoken. In. And we're going to give you this drug. Oh, by the way, it's the same in methamphetamine that we sold 10 years ago for social anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And and so it's, this is what's called diseasing the human experience. So is where you're taking this stuff. If you think that you are going to have every day where you're bland, everything is completely the same. Your heart is, is always 60 beats per minute. Your blood pressure is always at 120 over 60. Um, that you're not too happy, you're not too sad. Well, I, I got to tell you, you're a robot then because that's not humans. Humans are meant to have a, a range of emotion where your heart is going to change, your blood pressure is going to change, your physiology is going to change. Some days are going to be good days. Some days are not so good days. And it's important that we understand that that's the spectrum that we live in. And rather than in, in, in thinking that, th that these emotions are bad is, is to recognize that's being a human, that even the things that we prototypically say, oh, well, you need to be treated for anxiety, depression. And I'm not saying if you have major anxiety and uh, th that we're not saying to get treated for it, but anxiety is natural. It's the root of civilization, actually, because if you don't have anxiety about the future, then you're not planting crops, you're not raising the crops, you're not, you know, starting a farm so that your city can grow. Um, but, but man, we have just, we've just done a rotten job of, of helping people feel safe and instead telling them that everything is wrong. And if you're not in this, this total bland media here, this little narrow range of normalcy then somehow you're pathologically wrong and you need to be on some drugs because of it. Right. You know, I actually find myself, uh, including this morning, um, trying to normalize what people seem to diseaseify, um, such as you are showing up in a place that you're not usually at with lots of people you don't know and perceiving that you are going to have some trauma, AKA surgery, and receive some kind of toxins, AKA anesthesia, and you are um, not sure who you're gonna meet to do your anesthesia and maybe have a little rapport with the surgeon, but still he's gonna implement the trauma. And you're thinking about the pain afterwards, the possible nausea, and you're gonna be nervous. And I find myself when there's some people that are uncomfortable with that type of nervousness, when you, sometimes it works quite well if you validate this experience that they're having. And I'm just telling, I kind of explained to them when I sense this, that you're in an environment that's unfamiliar to you. Your body's looking out for you. It's normal to be feeling that tension, that nervousness, and that's totally normal. And you're not alone. This is a, a typical experience and that our job is to keep you safe and, you know, address all their concerns the things that they don't say, you almost have to pull it out of them because sometimes the concerns are really valid. Um, sometimes they don't understand really what to expect or what's really going to go on. And it's amazing how when you just sit down with them, not down looking at them, but sitting down and explaining, you know, the basic process without, without incurring additional anxiety, <laughs> which is a delicate balance depending on the personality. But um, most people are extremely appreciative, and um, I think that's just an example of trying to normalize uh, a human experience because it is not normal, um, you know, for the typical day-to-day, -day, you know, life of somebody to go into surgery. I mean, it's we we get used to it as uh, you know the medical system. We kind of we normalize it when it's 
it's just it, it is not typical <laughs> no it, it isn't and, and but i you know I, I guess the point being it is normal to feel abnormal yes. in abnormal situations yes right because if you're you responding felt, you're responding because if you are feeling normal then it's probably not an abnormal situation for you so if you maybe your thirtieth surgery, if if yeah, if you're if and if particularly if if you work in the OR, walking into the OR is not likely to cause you're just going to feel normal for you because that's a normal situation. Yes, that, um, that's okay, right? And 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 instead of though, it's just to recognize then that feeling abnormal is or can be normal depending on the scenario. I guess the the and, and the caveat being you know because I can see where people would want to push back about this a little bit and. and um, I don't. I hope nobody's saying that we're blaming the victim in any way, shape, or form, because that's not true. Uh, but saying, well, you're saying, well, then you're, the depression or anxiety shouldn't be treated. Treated, and I wouldn't say that. What I would be saying is, if your normal scenario feels abnormal all the time, that's an issue. So if you are in a safe environment where uh, where normally everything's comfortable, but then for whatever reason your physiology always feels abnormal, and you're like, I don't know why, because everything around me is safe. It's I have no no additional craziness that makes this an abnormal situation. In that scenario, then probably we need to have a discussion about what may else may be going on, or maybe we need to actually, uh, uh, you know, one of many different types of therapies that we can initiate at that time. Right. Well, the, another example of diseasing, diseasifying the human experience is, is also the human condition that's constantly dynamic, including bone, <laughs> including your discs, vertebral discs, you know, these things that change over time and how we diseasify natural changes within spine our wrinkles. body. What's that? Spine wrinkles. Spine wrinkles. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we have, but why is, the thing is, is that there's a disease, quote unquote, in order to create a code, diagnosis code, in order to have a valid reason for doing something to you, even if you, even if the clinician believes that this is truly the reason they need to do this for you, the, the reality of diseaseifying the human experience is that that disease or diseaseifying or the focus may be completely inaccurate and that's another that's another situation where you go ahead well that's the diseasifying the human experience we diseasify the body too mm -hmm. right and there's the extremes of that you have body dysmorphic syndrome where people actually perceive their body as this alien thing and completely grotesque even when it's not from other people's perspective because if to that person it is Mm -hmm. it, but so it's from other people you don't look grotesque, but from your perspective it is, and that's where the problem is. We need a perspective shift there, and right. and chopping and whittling isn't going to do that. We're going to have to do some other work involved with that. Uh, but you know the 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 you know the spectrum of the body is also going to change, just like that experience spectrum is going to change different scenarios. From a body perspective, and we're looking at current events plus time events and how that changes over time, and there is. I don't want to say there's no appreciation, but there's not a lot of appreciation for really how our bodies change over time. What is normal? Mm -hmm. You know, what is, what is normal for you or, and what is normal if you're 40 years old? Like if I did a, an MRI of my spine, which I won't do, but if I did, um, and someone said, well, it looks, you know, it looks, there's nothing in it. Then I'd be like, well, that's weird because I certainly don't look like I'm eight years old on the outside. <laughs> 
I, I'm expecting that my insides are kind of, well, hopefully, maybe not quite as old the next year. I want my insides to look like a 35-year-old, not a 45-year-old. But, you know, I mean, it's Everybody just. Who knows what that is, you know? <laughs> yeah, who knows what that is? But it, it is, it's just, um, it, it, is, it is crazy how much we, we just diseaseify the body. And, and it's all, for whatever reason, it's, it's bad. Um, yeah. And I think the bad thing about that is that that's overlaid well, when society in general, where we diseaseify it, it, it creates this, this thought that um, on top of this other belief that the body, the human body is like, like some machine, which I completely disagree with. It's way more intelligent. Um, then you, you create this label, which I say, you know, diagnocentric. When you get diagnocentric and you fixate on this diagnosis, which could be wrong in the first place, and is maybe labeling something that's just a natural human condition based on the circumstances, then you really limit um, people's capacity to believe that they can actually enact certain types of behavior patterns or lifestyle changes to improve the situation, thinking that it's like this static given that can't ever change or 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 we're looking at pinpoints instead of seeing patterns right right and and if you're focusing on one thing rather than seeing the big picture this small thing that being being intervened on when you're looking at the global pattern of the who the human is may have such a small impact maybe negligible in the face of everything else why are we even putting resources there right and i'm not saying just as a healthcare system i'm like as an individual when you have all this other stuff going on, why would you be focusing on this one little tiny detail other than the fact that somebody sold you is wrong? Um, right. So it's yeah, tunnel vision. It's, it's like see, it's not, seeing the forest, not seeing the forest for the trees. It's, it's like you know, all these analogies. Mm -hmm. But it, you get so down here and you're not really seeing what's the most important thing. Well, and, and what's, worry, what's even more worries about, about tunneling that is the fact that when you are under stress and you tunnel more. Your, mm -hmm. your, your vision and attention will actually focus down even more. So when you have someone who's highly distressed anyway, anyway so now you have that kind of uh, negative physiology, negative in the way that it's trying to be a negative motivator to do something about it, right? To get you prepared to fight, flight, uh, or freeze in the scenario. Mm -hmm. So now we already have a sense of abnormality in that. And then you're tunneling down because you're under stress. And that's going to, again, it's trying to keep you alive in the moment. So it's looking for the short-term threats and you focus that tunneling, it becomes very, very difficult to see that this symptom, whatever, erasing heart rate, whatever, in the context of the big picture, in the pattern of the picture is actually normal. And instead of actually fixing the symptom, like, oh, we're going to give you a beta blocker, we should actually see, well, what else is occurring here so that we can interview on the outside to change the pattern rather than that little pinpoint in there. Yeah, 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 that's, it's, um, it's why we end up with people that have like polypharmacy, meaning just multiple medications for all these little things <laughs> that may be all related to one big issue. Um, and then no one can like tease it apart. And then the patients like feel stuck on them. And they also believe that they can't get off of them. I can't tell you how many times I have those conversations. Well, and, and we, and we used to, well, I didn't, I didn't really grow up in this kind of healthcare system, but I'd like to idealize the past and say we had that at one point when you had your doctor, your, your family doctor, who mm -hmm. could see the pattern of who you were in the context of not only your body and physiology, but your environment, your family situation, and see that big picture then. They could see that pattern. 
and they knew whether or not it was appropriate to intervene or whether or not it was something that needed to be intervened in the first place. Right. But in a healthcare system where we've totally squeezed and, and got rid of that environment where we've turned primary care into a treat, not even not triage, it's, it's basically uh, a, um, a referral factory now on let's let's find these little pinpoints and then refer them off to someone who's never going to look at the big picture the specialists right. are only looking at those little pinpoints there right uh huge and, issue. and they don't look at and how often did you say, well you go to the nephrologist and say well i'm actually feeling this and all this other stuff's going on like oh, i'm i'm only here to talk about your kidneys well the kidneys are attached to everything else involved <laughs> and and, and granted, I, i'm not totally picking on a specialist here because you that's your your point yeah, but we've, we've, when we've taken it away from the healthcare system, the, the, the overseer, or the, at least the big picture seer, who is that primary person, now we have a fundamentally broken system that is not going to get better. Right. Because if you don't have that person helping put it together, it's like these little piecemeal things that, they, that most patients, unless you're in the medical field or just happen to have that inclination, you you have a hard time deciphering or understanding how these things work together or correlate or actually potentially could have some harm in the way that they are working against each other. And so I think people are at a disadvantage. And I think that is true with the specialization, the fragmentation, which is a form of fragmentation, that we don't have someone who is putting the puzzle together and helping unify it so that you can make better decisions and looking at the forest and, and not just doing different things to different trees and yeah. <laughs> hoping that you're not going to harm the patient. Um, but then they don't, primary care physicians are not having the time to, it's not even humanly possible to give patients the time they need to go through all the mess or the multiple things that we have just kind of put together hodgepodge without any unification of any sort. So, well, certainly uh, not in one visit. No. I mean, the, the only people in a traditional healthcare model where people are being measured on how many people widgets they can push through and you have a minimum of you know, 25 or 30 or whatever it is. Certainly, I think, the, I think generally they say, I think the, the lowest I've seen in a traditional like 15, but usually it's about 20 people, patients a day. Um, the only way to do that is to see people frequently. But you can't see them mm -hmm. frequently because they're overbooked for six weeks. And not only that, Insurance. if you wanted to see them uh, frequently, no, I'm talking just about the clinic because clinic is not about mm. optimizing uh, health, value of health to the, to the patient. The clinics are all about optimizing clinical performance, which is making sure that not every slot is filled with the right person, but making sure every slot in the schedule is filled, period. So, you know, while they're booking people out for six, eight, 10, 12, 15 weeks in a primary care setting on, which is, which is just absolutely asinine for a number of different reasons, because then when someone actually has a problem, there's now an abnormalcy in their pattern, then they're off to the urgent care or the ER. So someone else who has no big picture of this is now yeah. supposed to be intervening in and, and why, why, like, the, yeah. <laughs> why, because we need to fill the clinic. Because if, those, if that slot isn't full, that's revenue that's lost. Mm -hmm. and, and, in the, and when it comes to, you know, the dollar versus personal value, the dollar is going to win. It's just yeah. the, the incentives are, are aligned to fill slots. Yeah. doesn't matter yeah. how. So it's really comes down to what we all should be doing anyway, 
is how do we serve patients, not how do we serve pockets? Um, and I hate to be so blunt there. And most, a lot of people are out there trying to do good work. They're good people, but we start falling into the trap of the system within which we're working and it is, it's failing our patients miserably. And unfortunately, a lot of patients don't realize how much is failing them because this is just what they're used to. Um, and that's, that's the, you know, that sounds so negative and not hopeful. Um, you want to take a spin on the, the hopeful aspect for the end of this uh, podcast episode? Well, I, I would say it's not necessarily, you're being realistic. You're not, yes. that's, that's a, the fact of the matter is being realistic. So that, that abnormal situation is actually appropriate right there, right? <laughs> But so then you want to say, well, what or if we were just ranting about it, which we can do all day, and I'm happy to do that, yeah. but that doesn't change anything. So then you look, well, from a from a from a a professional, or really when we're looking at the system side of things, unless you're in that realm, like we can't control that. But if I was in the healthcare system, what you do is you have to fundamentally change how you deliver healthcare. You have to align the incentives for what provides value to your end user, who should be the patient. And in this day and age, it isn't. The end user is somebody else. It's either the clinician or it may be the insurance company or maybe the outside other third-party payer on this. But it's it, it, the, the, the person who's supposed to be for delivering value who is not the patient in this day and age. So we need to align the incentives with that. That's on a system-wide standpoint. From a professional standpoint, you're never going to change the symptom but the, or, or the system, but the, what that you can change is your own professional behavior. And you're going to have to make some hard choices. If you went into medicine because you want to poke the buttons and you want to make a lot of money, then fine. Then don't pretend that you're doing something different. Be honest with yourself because you're going to drive yourself crazy. And at least in some way, try to do, even in that piece, is try to do minimum of harm if you can possibly do so. But if that's not you, because most of us went into healthcare because you want to help people get better, then you have to at least put into control of your practice environment on understanding fundamentally that your responsibility is to the person in front of you to the patient who is seeing you. They are not problems. They are not difficult. They're distressed people coming in. How in the best way possible can you help facilitate change with them? How can you provide care? Again, knowing that the system is not optimized for you, you're going to have to make choices that may affect your income. It may affect your practice environment. You may have to drop hours. You may have to look at the different kinds of care models, uh, but there are different, there's options for you um, that you can and control. And from a patient standpoint, so now we're on the third level here, from a patient standpoint, the key part for them is until you, again, the system's not going to change. You don't have control over that unless, unless you're voting or a shareholder or something. <laughs> From a professional standpoint, you don't necessarily, you can't control your doctor, but what you can control is your own behavior. So it's recognizing what is a normal human experience for me? When is this human experience outside the realm of normal? Is that sense of abnormality seem to be more abnormal for you for other people. So then you're like, well, am I anxious all the time because I'm really unsure of my body or is this something I need to be anxious about? So you have to have some friends and family that are supportive of you in that environment and then recognizing the limitations of healthcare. So what can I do to keep myself healthy every day? And if something seems to be abnormal, go and dip your toe into the little finger of healthcare so that you can say, Hey, I'm kind of feeling a little weird. Is there anything bad going on? And as soon as they say, no, then you run out the office. Don't wait for anything else. <laughs> Uh, in return to that healthy lifestyle and behavior. But, but each of those then, as a patient, you control this, this little sphere of influence over you. And so the more that you can understand your own personal human experience and how it swings and sways and all those different underplays, and then just returning back to those fundamental things of moving every day, eating real food, 
avoiding toxins, including people, substances, and environments, and then making sure that you have rest recovery strategies, including sleep. That right there is, is the mainstay of health. And you could do that and you don't need anybody else to tell you how per se. So that was fabulous. And it made me think a lot of physicians should be listening to this too. Because everything that you just said is not the things that were encouraged or taught or the culture and within which we work. Um, when you talk about toxins and the way we, you know, live our lives. But I think it's the way we wanted to practice in a lot of ways. Right. You know, I, I didn't go into medical school because I wanted to do what we, we ended up doing. Again, because I wanted to help people get well. Right. So, so you know, I, just one last thought on that. What is it you think it was? Is it we have you know, the rose-colored glasses on and we couldn't see past just that? Or do you think, and this might be something for a conversation later, but do you think it's something that we that healthcare really just has changed that much since we saw it early on? Um, or is it just, once you get in the middle of it, you understand it better and see it for what it is? I, I, you mean why you, we go in with these great intentions yeah, and then we right, come out? And we, we feel different. Yeah. Well, the training's long and I think it happens when we start doing rotations. That's a yeah. huge, well, and we, we actually, that leads back to the tunneling effect, right? Right. We're under such huge amounts of distress through medical school. And then that transitions into internship and residency. You can't even see the big picture because the only thing you're trying to do is survive on a day-to-day basis. And by the time you even get a breath of air, and some people I don't think ever get that breath of fresh air. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, there's something jarring usually has to occur or you have to take some sort of hiatus or something gets so bad that you have to step back or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're tunneled down. You don't, you just, you forget. And then it just becomes, this is a drag, this is a job, I didn't, you know, why am I doing this, this is a bad decision. You didn't, no one was forced to go into medicine. Well, I'd say most people weren't forced. Maybe some yeah. people's parents really weren't forced. We chose to do it. We did it because we wanted to. And I do think that at some point you're just under so much distress that that tunneling effect takes over and you can't raise your head. You can't even see. You don't, you just, you feel like a cog in the wheel and there's nothing that you can do. And it's because you haven't had a chance to breathe and see the big picture anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I've seen some physicians that it took a heart attack or something else that stopped them in their tracks and realized that they need to take care of themselves and um, recognize that uh, they can change how they live their lives and improve their their overall system and their sphere of influence uh, right their, here. Their circle of control. <laughs> their circle of control. And, um, you know, like we we're talking about with disease-defined the human experience, um, you know, no one's uh, immune to it. I mean, there's this potential that we can be affected by that and that to recognize that um, this human experience, the more you recognize the capacity um, to just notice what's going on around you and how you can change those things that you're doing to um, not be caught in the trap of this, um, you know, diseaseifying it as if you can't change. Um, you know, there really is a lot of hope that, there can be a change in your life, whether it's some illness, chronic illness or pain involved. And uh, we're here to, to give you hope that there, despite, despite the fact that these things go on, that, that there is still power in, in your world. And if you need help, there are people out there, whether it's within the medical system, sometimes outside of the medical system or close friends and family that can help, help you remold uh, the way you're looking at life or how you're looking at this experience that might just be a normal human condition that you're going through. Um, hopefully Dr. Kevin and, and myself, uh, Dr. Melissa Katie, uh, have given you some perspective on that. Any uh, last words, Dr. Kevin? 
no, I, I think, I think that fits it well. And, uh, you know, as always, I'm like, Oh, we should talk about that. We should talk about that, but we'll, we'll save that. <laughs> Next biggest, time. <laughs> biggest thing is you're, is you don't have to be as sick as the TV is going to tell you to be. Right. That's the, that's the biggest piece. Right. Uh, and and there, there's way more hope for you. And, and there, there, humans are naturally resilient and it's a wonderful, amazing, the, the, the capability of the body to heal is amazing thing. So just a little bit more in your body and a little less on, on what the, what the media is trying to say. Absolutely. And in, until next time I say to more joy and Dr. <laughs> Kevin, stay well folks. Thank you for joining us today on the Pandora podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know through a five-star rating on iTunes or your current podcast listening service. And be sure to check out the information and resources available at Pandora.com.